Welcome to Retina Health for Life from the President's Corner, brought to you by the American Society of Retina Specialists. I'm your host, Dr. Tim Murray, coming to you from Miami. On each episode, we'll bring you inspiring conversations about your sight and the special role the retina plays in making healthy vision possible. We'll hear from expert retina specialists, as well as directly from patients about living life to the fullest with retinal disease. Join us and learn how to safeguard your retina health for life. Welcome to the American Society of Retina Specialists, Retina Health for Life from the President's Corner. On this episode, we're going to talk about exciting treatment advances that are on the horizon for age-related macular degeneration that may help our patients not only preserve, but improve their vision. We are also focused today on evaluating the impact of treatment burden on our patients and some therapeutic strategies that may help our patients to see better with age-related macular degeneration. To discuss this important topic, I'm happy to welcome my friend and the current president of the American Society of Retina Specialists, Dr. Carl O. from Tennessee Retina. Carl, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Tim. So Carl, you and I both know how important evaluation and treatment are for patients with retinal diseases. But I think you and I would also agree that this has been one of the most rapidly evolving fields that has incorporated genetic testing, advances in imaging, and new treatments for our patients. Could you tell us a little bit about how you approach some of this advanced technology for your patients related to decreasing their treatment burden? Yes, so macular degeneration has really had a complete change during the last 25 years in terms of the way we manage patients and the outcomes we can expect. So a disease that almost universally led to legal blindness when it became advanced uh, less than 20 years ago, we now can treat uh, and maintain patients' vision for a lifetime. But those successful outcomes require diligence on the part of the doctors and the patients. Macular degeneration is really common, uh, and most people with it, I think, perhaps don't even know they have it. So it's the early stages of the disease that are critical to identify. And that can be identified uh, with a thorough dilated pupil eye examination by uh, an eye doctor. If there are signs of macular degeneration, then it's reasonable to see a retina specialist. What can we do? For the very early stages of the disease, really not that much is necessary. Most patients with early macular degeneration will have very good vision for the rest of their life. Just like most patients with arthritis never end up crippled by arthritis, it's very common, but not so common to have severe outcome. However, if macular degeneration enters the intermediate stage where a patient can still have good vision, that's where the chances of developing advanced macular degeneration become significant. And it's at the intermediate stage where actions by patients and doctors can make a tremendous difference in outcome. 
uh, first of all, just understanding that the patient has the disease is important because regular careful monitoring of vision, one eye covered at a time, often with something called an Amsler grid, can help patients identify changes in vision that they might miss otherwise. And those early changes in vision could be an important clue that the disease is progressing. There is very powerful evidence that genetics influences macular degeneration. We know this disease tends to run in families, but the genetics is complicated. There's not just one macular degeneration gene and either you get it or you don't get it. Instead, there are dozens of genes and it's the combination of what we inherit from our parents that in each of us adds up to a different risk of getting advanced disease. And that's of course influenced greatly by the environment. Smoking is really an uh, increased risk factor. Age of course is critical. You don't get macular degeneration when you're nine years old, no matter how, how bad your genetics may be. But in people of a certain age who've already developed macular degeneration, genetic testing can help us identify who is more likely to progress to advanced disease. So if we identify those patients, we may be willing to see them more often in the office and they may be a little more diligent about coming to their examinations and uh, checking their own vision. That was a great overview. So many of our patients, of course, are getting genetic testing independently. Um, and that's really less the type of genetic testing we're talking about than really targeted genetic testing. What I really have an uh, interest in here is how do patients know whether they have risk or, or not to be able to define whether they should be seen or tested? What do you do for family members or siblings or parents related to the patients that you actually see in your office? Do you have recommendations for them? Yeah, that, that's an excellent question, Tim, because there is a lot of confusion about genetic testing. There are some diseases, not macular degeneration, where having a gene tells you that you will or won't get a certain condition. Macular degeneration is not like that. With macular degeneration, our current understanding is that the genes become very important for people who have already developed the disease. The, the information that is we currently have tells us that among people who already have macular degeneration, the information from the genetic tests can be important. Earlier than that, we really don't know yet. So when I have family members of patients or patients asking about their family members, should I get genetic testing? My answer is always, not unless you have evidence of macular degeneration already. So the number one most important screening tool is a thorough retina examination. So if the examination shows evidence of macular degeneration, only at that point do I recommend the genetic test. Carl, I think you've probably been involved in genetic testing with more patients in the United States than almost anyone else. So if we're going to screen the patients first to decide who should be tested, 
What do you tell the family member of the patient in your chair that has active macular degeneration? How do you counsel their parents, their siblings, or their children? Do you have age cutoffs or screening recommendations? What would you recommend? Well, I think for an older patient who has siblings, you know, either in Nashville where I live or in other parts of the country, I tell them, you know, ask your siblings if they know whether or not they have macular degeneration. If they haven't had their eyes examined in a while or they have an eye doctor but haven't necessarily been checked specifically for that, they should ask that doctor to specifically look for evidence of macular degeneration. For patients with younger children, say young adults or teenagers, I tell them really there's nothing to look for at this stage. It's always good to give healthy lifestyle advice to younger people, not just for their eyes, but you know, for their entire body. So the things that are good for your body in general, not smoking, exercising, you know, watching your weight, eating a good balanced diet, all those things have been shown to lower the risk of developing advanced macular degeneration and their good advice in general. For patients with middle-aged children or relatives, those are the patients that's very important to get an eye exam to rule out early changes. And if there are no early changes, then just the regular schedule of eye exams every few years or, or less is probably sufficient for screening, but no genetic testing if there's no disease. So I think that's important. So I tell my parents, my patients and, 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 and their families that if they have middle-aged siblings or children or older siblings or parents, that it's never unreasonable to get a good eye exam, particularly from someone with the technology to look specifically for retinal disease. And that's one of the things we talk about for a retina specialty focus of care. I would love to have somebody look at one of my siblings and say, you really have no evidence of macular degeneration and you're in your 60s, so we can give you a good recommendation and follow-up schedule. I think that's incredibly reassuring. And even if there is evidence of early disease, then now we can target the evaluation of those patients going forward. I agree. So the other thing that you've been really involved with is understanding how burdensome treatment can be for patients that do have macular degeneration that requires therapy. Could you talk us through a little bit of some of the new medications that may be available? And then after, could you end with talking about some of these new quote delivery systems and what they can mean for our patients? Yes, I'm happy to. And the, the word you use is one that comes up a lot, burden, because the miraculous treatments we have uh, for saving sight in patients with the advanced form of macular degeneration that we call wet macular degeneration work best when the treatments are given regularly. These treatments involve an injection with a tiny needle into the eye after we've numbed the eye. Uh, and initially, most of the drugs are given at a monthly interval. And then after time can be given a bit less frequently for some patients, but for other patients to get the best uh, visual outcomes may require monthly injections for years. And it's that need to come to the doctor's office to be evaluated, to be treated, that can become burdensome for patients and their families. Remember, many of these are older patients, 
uh, who may not drive. So someone may have to take off work to bring them to the office. So I still like to think of it really as an opportunity, not a burden, but there is certainly a lot of inconvenience that can occur. And as the pandemic has shown us when at least a year ago, when everything started, we were so worried about getting out of the house and going anywhere that this need to be seen regularly at a doctor's office, you know, was offset a little bit in some patients by the fear of leaving the house and going to a doctor's office. That's why there is a associated burden with these miraculous treatments that maintain vision. What's exciting is that there is a lot of research bringing better drugs, drugs that may give a better vision outcome or perhaps more importantly, uh, last longer. So uh, probably rather than getting into the specifics of the names of the different drugs, it's just important for, for patients to understand that things are improving, that drugs that may have to be given monthly may one day be uh, substituted, and this may happen within the next year by drugs that can be given every four months with very similar outcomes. But like with any drug we take for any disease, patients respond differently. So just because there's a drug uh, that's new that we may hear great results about doesn't mean that for a given patient, that's the right choice. So working with a, a retina specialist who really understands the science and the new technology and knows how to select the best drug for patients important. Some of the other exciting research that may lessen patient burden um, includes some things that are probably years away like gene therapy, the ability to actually transform an eye uh, to a little drug factory so that cells in the eye begin producing the type of medications that we currently have to inject. If this type of therapy is successful, uh, one treatment that uh, introduces this gene therapy into the eye may be all a patient needs for a lifetime. We're still a ways away from that, but that's a very exciting uh, new research. Something that it's probably uh, much more likely to be available soon is uh, long-term delivery of drugs. So there is a device that may be approved by the FDA uh, within a year or two. The clinical trials have been very successful. And this device releases tiny amounts of drug into the eye for many, many months. So it requires a, a, a surgery to implant a little a reservoir into the wall of the eye. It's filled with a high concentration of drug that uh, diffuses into the eye for six months or more. Some patients have gone much more than a year between refills of this device and the refills can be done in the office. And so far, patients with this device have had vision outcomes as good as those who have received regular monthly injections. So that I think is in the reasonably near future and could really be transformative for our patients in terms of reducing treatment burden and improving vision outcomes. So Dr. O, you hit on two, I think, key points that I, that I hope our, our patients and their families understand. One, 
that seeing a retina specialist allows your care really to be personalized. So I don't think you or I treat any patient identically. I think we tailor each treatment that we have to that patient and often even to that patient on that day. Mm -hmm. So I think that's really, really important. And secondly, I agree that though we're not talking about specific agents, I'm old enough to have had patients go blind from age-related macular degeneration because there were no therapies. The anti-VEGF injectables weren't available. So this has been an amazing story already, but to think that you've suggested that there may be drugs that could be injected once every four months, that there could be a device that we put in the eye surgically that could release drug maybe for six to 24 months. I find that amazing. Do you think that we're gonna to continue to move at that, at that pace for our patients going forward? Well, I've learned not to try to make predictions. So I'm, I'm not going to, uh, to answer that because I'm sure what I predict will be wrong. I will say this, We've been, as you indicated, so lucky to be part of a field that has really moved in these huge leaps and bounds for our patients. So for many generations of retina specialists before we started practicing, the outcome, the verdict for their patients with macular degeneration was going to be the same. The fact that our patients uh, have realized these tremendous benefits is fantastic. And I certainly hope the pace of, of progress will continue. What I'd love to see, what's most important, I think, in the future are treatments at the earlier stages of the disease. So we can prevent the advanced stages of not only wet macular degeneration, but the dry form of macular degeneration called geographic atrophy, which also takes lots of vision, but just does it much more slowly. There's research looking at attacking that form of the disease and the earlier stages of macular degeneration. I hope we're lucky enough to see the same pace of progress. Uh, I'm not sure about that pace, but I'm very confident that we will continue to make progress. I think it's, it's a very exciting time, particularly for our patients and, our, and, and their families, and also maybe for their, for their children. So You've really stressed that you know prevention may be the key to this disease, but maybe early identification and treatment also. You mentioned an AMSTER grid, which has been traditionally what we've asked our patients to look at. Have you had any experience with some of the advanced home imaging systems that maybe will let our patients follow their disease progress without having to come to the office? Uh, I, there is new technology, both for measuring vision at home. I have experience with some of those systems. So they are a more sophisticated way for doing a vision test at home. And what's also on the horizon uh, are home versions of the types of uh, imaging devices that we use in our office that can take pictures, so to speak, of the macula to look for evidence of the anatomic changes that help guide our uh, treatment decisions. So if those devices become successful, we may actually be able to do an effective form of telemedicine in retina. Right now, retina remains one of the 
fields of medicine where there's really no substitute for an in-person examination by the retina specialist, but, uh, or at least in the retina specialist's office where all our sophisticated imaging devices uh, now, now rest. If we can do that at home, that will be more convenient, safer, and I think will probably lead to better outcomes because we can test people just by ha having them walk over to the kitchen table and, and look in this new device. I think that's fascinating. And you know, there's been some discussion of even having that incorporate with some component of artificial intelligence so that there can be some immediacy for the, for the patient. So I find that very exciting. And I know you won't look into the future, but I will. I do think there are going to be some amazing changes that we see over the next decade that you've alluded to. So to, to, to wrap up a little bit for us, Dr. O, could, you've talked to us about sort of lifestyle changes, you know, good, good nutrition, good health, healthy living, no smoking, manage your weight, good blood pressure and blood sugar control. My patients are often interested in, and if they can do something nutritionally to supplement beyond their normal diet. I think you're probably one of the world's authorities on nutritional supplementation for macular degeneration. Do you have any sort of overall view for, for our listening patients and their families? Well, there are lots of people who are more expert than I, but I do have a real interest in this. I think most important is the, a healthy diet and a healthy lifestyle. So there are studies that have shown that that alone, the Mediterranean diet, can make a, a big difference in, in outcome. There is uh, evidence that taking certain nutritional supplements can lower the risk of progressing from the intermediate to the advanced form of macular degeneration. And for the average patient with intermediate macular degeneration, I think that many of these over-the-counter supplements are helpful. Uh, I have been involved in a lot of research publications where we have shown, however, that that average benefit is the product of different individual responses. So although the uh, age-related eye disease uh, study formulation, the AREDS formulation may help the average person uh, lower their risk of progression from intermediate to advanced macular degeneration, our research has shown that in about 15% of people, that same vitamin might actually increase risk of getting worse. It's just that that 15% is offset by about 50% who benefit quite a bit. We can identify which patients fall into which group with genetic testing. So in my opinion, genetic testing can further refine the way we decide which patients to treat with nutritional supplements, just as we are refined in our thinking of which drug to use for the patients. No one would think that every drug for macular degeneration in the advanced form should be one size fits all. And I think, think the same is true for nutritional supplements. Carl, it seems to me that this really highlights the importance of personalized medicine directed by a retina specialist who has both the technology and the expertise to make the decisions as to 
early, intermediate, and advanced care. And I think the highlight of that is exactly what you've suggested. So I think for me, what's really exciting about the management of age-related macular degeneration is how far we've come. And I really want to thank you for spending time with us tonight. The president of the American Society of Retinal Specialists, Dr. Carl O. from Tennessee Retina, a friend and a retina specialist of renown. I really appreciate the opportunity. And uh, those who are watching this should also know that Dr. Murray, uh, my dear friend Tim, Tim, is the immediate past president of the American Society of Retina Specialists. He's left me very big uh, shoes to fill and uh, footprints to follow. And I really appreciate the great work you're doing with these programs and the opportunity to be on this. Well, thanks for talking with us tonight. Thanks for tuning in to Redna Health for Life from the President's Corner. You can watch and listen to more episodes on the ASRS YouTube channel and on popular podcast directories, including Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and Spotify. For even more information about safeguarding your vision for a lifetime, visit asrs.org slash patients and follow ASRS on both Facebook and Twitter. Retina Health for Life is made possible in part through generous support from the Foundation of the American Society of Retina Specialists, Allergan, Genentech, Novartis, and Regeneron Pharmaceuticals. See you soon.